Welcome back to Roll for Enterprise, the podcast described as the squishy heart at the center of Enterprise IT. In line with that brand, we thought we'd discuss the story that has all of Twitter in a tizzy, uh, which is, of course, what Basecamp has been up to all week. And so, Mike, Lilac, you haven't been following this story, is that right? I've been following it somewhat, but uh, not in great detail. All I know is some of the crazy stuff that happened before the policy came out, but only at the early on stages. Right. So let's see if I can, and I'm doing this from memory, by the way, I have not done my homework. It's been a very, very busy week for me. But what happened was David Heinemeyer Hansen previously appeared on this podcast as the purveyor of Hey.com, uh, email, which for some reason you want to pay 99 bucks a month for, or a year, whatever it was. Nobody could understand why you'd pay for email in the 21st century anyway. Uh, but he's a bit of a Twitter loudmouth. He lives his life in public, I think it's fair to say. Um, I used to follow him. He's uh, kind of entertaining, but he's also uh, a very high-volume tweeter. He's hard to have on your timeline without him swamping it. So he put out a public blog post on Hey.com's blog service, because that's the other very current thing. So first you launch an email service, and then you launch a blog host, uh, because we're warped back in time to 2003 or something. Um, but yeah, so he's got his blog service. He publishes a public world-viewable blog post uh, describing a change to internal policy at Basecamp. Nobody's allowed to talk politics at work because it's disruptive. Uh, just get on with your work and make me rich. And by the way, we're also cutting all the free meals and other subsidies. Uh, we'll give you some cash back in your paycheck to make up for it. Uh, breaks over, back to work. It's like free meals, it's gym memberships, it's uh, it's like um, like farmer's market uh, that would come to work and give like vegetable baskets. There's a couple of other things that they cut, right? Yeah, it's, it's that style of thing. But remember that Basecamp, and I think this is actually germane, remember that Basecamp is a fully remote company and has been since their founding. So oh, that's right, that's they're, right. they're all over so the place. What there. was the farm share scheme? It was like grocery box delivery instead of oh, got it. Okay. All right. groceries in the pantry at work. Same same idea, just delivered to your home. I mean, cutting costs is a legitimate business thing to do. Um, no, 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 that wasn't, it wasn't cost cutting. The justification was we don't feel that we should make these choices for you. We'll give you the cash and let you make the choices. If we do it, it's paternalistic and... So the whole thing came across as, well, A, quite out of sync with the current cultural moment. No politics and you choose what to do with your money. We're not being paternalistic. Uh, and B, really quite, wait, why are you doing this right now? It seems weird. And also, why are you doing it in public? Yeah, so, why are we talking so much about it? I mean, I don't think Basecamp is a company that, unless you, you're one of us or in, this, in the industry, like my mother doesn't know Basecamp exists, right? Nor does my sister, who's a lawyer. <laughs> Very wise. I mean, partly it's because, like I say, DHH is a loudmouth on Twitter and he's very entertaining. He has a huge following. Uh, he the, the last time he appeared on the podcast was because he got in a fight with Apple over the, the App Store 30% cut. So when Hey.com launched, That's right. it actually originally got refused uh, the submission to the App Store because they weren't supporting in-app purchase. Uh, or not because, so he said, because they weren't supporting a net purchase. Apple was saying because they hadn't sufficiently obscured the fact that uh, th there was stuff you could purchase. 
it was a big he said she said back and forth thing um and then that's aligned with the epic uh trial which is still ongoing about Fortnite on the app store and the in-app purchase there so i think there was probably a step change in his number of followers around that time but i would uh, agree i would agree with that <laughs> yeah and so he was already somewhat on on the radar for a certain type of person who spends a lot of time on twitter hi uh, <laughs> so, the, but the main reaction on Twitter at this point, this was like Monday, it was bemusement. It's like, dude, what are you doing and why are you doing this in public? And some people were moderately outraged about, you know, you can't tell me not to talk politics because quite rightly, they called out, you know, you as a middle-aged, rich, white dude, there's a lot of stuff that you consider to be politics that other people consider to be simply identity. Uh, and like, someone uses pronouns that are different from the defaults that you think they should use. Is that politics? Am I allowed to say that at work? Um, but it was still fairly muted. And this is the point at which he chose to double down. So he published a second world-readable blog post justifying his original statement, saying that there'd been things that had happened and uh, he was obliged to do this because it had become a problem. At which point the volume of outrage started to increase that's when he got most of the attention right and i and i heard yeah. that i heard that there were some hr complaints actually against him previous to that but i don't know what those were to be honest well that's what happened and i will do my homework after uh, we finish recording and get all the links but what happened was an employee a base camp employee uh, came uh, to the thread and said look here's what happened it seems there was a list way back in the distant mists of history there was a list of funny customer names that was circulated at Basecamp, some of which were racially tinged, some of which were not, and just, you know, uh, general sort of schoolboy humor funny. As you know, that's bad-mouthing schoolboys. My, uh, my son's a schoolboy. I think he's outgrown this level of humor by now, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on, but still back in the distant mess of time, this list was deleted when the company started growing up a bit and realized hey, this is not something we should really be doing. But Samizdat copies continued to circulate. One surfaced around the end of last year, just at the time a new employee had kicked off a diversity and inclusion initiative uh, at work, at Basecamp, I should say. And the, the discussion blew up. And eventually someone circulated an image equating, or not equating this, but uh, pointing out that it starts with name calling and it leads to genocide. It's kind of dramatic, but in context, it, it does make sense. They're, they're responding to the question of, you know, what's the worst that could happen? This is just some name calling and fun, uh, brush it off and move on and say, no, this normalizes this type of stuff and it leads to some very dark places if it doesn't nip it in the bud let's nip it in the bud let's recognize this and dhh took very poorly to being accused of genocide and that's when he shut down the whole discussion thread closed new policy everyone get back to work and stop talking politics now i'll say this like the politics at work they're not the first right because coinbase did the same thing. coinbase well, that's the context. Coinbase got in major hot water for doing the same thing with less provocation, perhaps. Learn from their mistake. <laughs> I think all the all the all the Valley VCs though kind of agreed with, uh, with with Coinbase, and and they're talking about like how it distracts. But to be honest, that 
from what I hear, some of these companies have like political channels on Slack. Like I don't understand the whole social at work. Like I, I have even, yeah, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I have issues with like Yammer and like, like if you have a Slack channel on politics, I, I think you're asking for this kind of, <laughs> this kind of uh, thing to blow up because it is a bit polarizing. Uh, and I think uh, especially here in the US, maybe not so much in, uh, in Europe and, and so on, but yeah, I agree with the, the slippery slope part, but it's just, yeah, I think you get ridiculous because if you say you take it out of everything, then what, when people stop working, they can do whatever they want and you're not going to hold them accountable for any of that? Because I think that's also a bit of a, a, a slippery a slope. Yeah, yeah. And let's face it, Basecamp has, I think like Lilac was saying, like, is this even, how, how big are they? And I think it's 57 employees, to be honest. Is yeah. It? yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's 57 employees. Well, that does explain a lot, doesn't it? Um, I <laughs> I feel like there's politics and there's politics, right? I actually feel like we have, in our adult lives, lived through waves of different dominant political parties in the U.S., right? I think we can argue that we've seen some changes over the last 20 years. And um, whenever you're on the... I'm going to use this word, but I don't necessarily mean it, sort of losing side of the dominant shtick, you have a certain, there's a certain emotional problem with some of the, you don't want that conflated with your work life, right? And so Dominic and I worked for a company that was based in the South, and we got emails about who to vote for, and I would argue that that wasn't great. Um, and that individual that we were encouraged to vote for, would say I would say, was not aligned with my personal values, Right. The flip is also equally true, right? I wouldn't want to be told to vote for, right? Like if I were on the other side of the spectrum, I wouldn't want to be told to vote for the reverse by my CEO. That's just a crazy, crazy behavior. That to me is very much politics in the workplace, right? Like let's discuss elections. Let's discuss, you know, the actual American or, or international political system. That's very, very different to me than discussing um, the notion of pronouns at work the mocking of of different um cultural bases or names like those are those are different topics that isn't politics that isn't international tariff law and the implications on you know macroeconomic trend lines that is like humanity and to shut that off feels like you're actually not interested in listening to the experiences of people on your team at all and and that to me is actually a problem in a leader and that was it. That was the Twitter discourse saying, you know, you as a white dude can say no politics and because the status quo works for you and someone coming into work and maybe, let's say, an African-American saying I'm concerned about being stopped by the police on my way back and forth from work, hashtag Black Lives Matter. To them, that's not politics in the sense of party pol politics. It's politics in the sense of my identity spilling over into my work life. Well, and I would even take it further, right? Like, it, what if the, like, if, if somebody was inappropriately sort of overly litigated by the security guard at the front desk of their office because they look profiled, yeah. that, it, that feels to me like a situation that should be discussed at work, that should be escalated to the leadership, that should be addressed because that employee has every right to walk into their own office without being hassled as much as anybody who looks different than them. Um, that has nothing to do with politics for me. That has to do with being a, a sane human being and a good leader. 
So did he actually characterize all of these things broadly as political discussion or was he limiting it to whether or not we have an opinion on um, uh, a certain kind of change in, in legislation? Uh, we're not privy to the internal messages, but it certainly came over like the former. Yeah, it, it sounds like he, he did squash it all. And, and that's the hard part, right? Because if you're building your product, if you're, as you progress as a company, I mean, you need to take all of it into consideration. And if, if you, I don't know, whitewash all of it, then you, you get to a different place, right? You're, you're, you're blind to, I, I think there's politics and there's like, cultural events, cultural understanding, diversity of thought. And I think there you just shut it all down, right? That That's the that's the scary part. But it, it sounds like it just, I mean, I can understand it got out of control, but let's face it, if it got out of control, it's their fault it got out of control. And As ultimately a com- you, you know, this reminds exactly. me a bit of, of Uber. <laughs> Have you guys uh, ever read um, or, or listened to Super Pumped, the, the Uber story? I mean, if you start listening to that, it just, I mean, you could tell, like, the reason their their founder had to leave is because it got really out of control. And, and the mm. thing is, like, it is a slippery slope. I mean, once something starts, it, it it's like it justifies the next crazy thing and the next crazy thing and the next crazy thing. And then, all you know, all you know is you're you're out of control. So, you know, to like from managers and leaders and organizations, I mean, what we do every day is risk management. And it's it's the same thing about understanding when to squash a conversation, when to let it go on. And I think there's some civility and, and cultural issues that everybody has to deal with these days. And you, you need to take it with, um, you know, you, you need to really listen these days. And I, I yeah, that's just like not listening. It, it, it's kind of crazy. I, I don't think any big organization will follow Coinbase or, ba- well, definitely not Basecamp in, in the same direction. So you'd be surprised. His original post got a lot of other white tech leaders, uh, ah, boy, someone finally said it. Uh, the, the Coinbase guy came out in support. That obviously makes sense, given that... Yeah, but Silicon, Silicon Valley startups, right? Nobody yeah. other than Silicon Valley startups would, would follow it. But I think that's because they're a bit tone deaf and blind to it, right? Because of where they are. Mm-hmm. We should ask Rachel Chalmers from last week what she thinks <laughs> of that statement. Yeah. But to me, this also... Uh, it's of a piece with another tech conversation about uh, diversity, which was the scandal, it wasn't a scandal, but the conversation seems to have died down a little bit. But a few months ago, we were all very exercised about changing terminology to get rid of things like master slave or blacklist, whitelist, and people changing their GitHub repo branches from master to main to get rid of this um, this terminology that's offensive, obviously, to, to some people. And... I have to admit that uh, not this this current time around, but some years ago when this first came to my attention, my instinct was, you know, but that's not what these words mean. They're not related to to that meaning. Therefore, we should focus on the semantics and we shouldn't uh, get sidetracked. And, and then I listened to people, I know, revolutionary concepts, uh, who told me, you know, that may not be what it means, but when I hear it, I can't help but feel uh that is that it does apply to me or that it reflects upon things that do apply to me and that was when i i flipped my thinking and said okay if it bothers people we should change it whether it's applicable to the etymology of the word uh according to whoever or not and i think that's kind of the same thing here 
DHH didn't listen to what people were saying, he seems to have, as far as I can work out, just flown off the handle when someone in his mind accused him of genocide. And at that point, he just stopped listening and kept doubling down and is now at some exponential rate of doubling. You know, that, that person who accused them, basically, they can go on and go on a podcast and talk about it or go elsewhere and talk about it. And technically, he won't do anything because it's not at work, right? I mean, that's ultimately his message, right? Which is, yeah. Mm. <laughs> that's a thought. But I feel like the person who accused him, as you know, as we're people who, like, when somebody raises issues like this, I like to sort of try to keep an open mind and listen to it. And honestly, in fairness, right, sometimes I'm, Sometimes I'm in and sometimes I'm like, actually, I, I, I can't go that far with you. So let's, let me just stay here. Right. Um, yeah. But it's true, right. There's things that people have asked me to, to change that I have not been able to accept if right or wrong about myself. I'll own that. Right. Um, I feel like that person, I haven't seen the full thread, but that kind of um, comment is one that comes under duress, right. That typically is not like response to uh, your your name calling is tantamount to genocide, right? That's like typically 150 posts into the thread yes. when you've been pushed up to the edge and somebody's like, what? Can I not call you or whatever? Can I not use this word? Why can't I? Whatever. And just finally, like, for fuck's sake, like, this is the end path and this is how I see it. And, and that feels to me like a, a res- an emotional response to a thread. Um, and And so I think that seeing it in this sort of vacuum of, well, then they called the guy a mass murderer is probably reductive, right? There was a whole negative conversation that that led up to this where any number of leaders, presumably in the organization, could have stepped in and said, actually, why don't we take this aside, form like a smaller working group, build some guidelines for our organization, try to do better and diffuse the situation. Yeah. And I do wonder how much of this was because they hadn't seen each other in such a long time. As Basecamp, as we said, has been fully remote since forever, but they did do the thing that most remote teams do, which is they had regular meetups, I think quarterly, whole company would meet up in person, and they would renew those social ties, that social understanding. So that mechanism, as you say, Lilac, I think that's exactly what happened. Deep in the thread, context was lost, and people were not really listening anymore. They were just trying to make their own point more and more forcefully. And that's the sort of thing that you can uh, you can defuse much more easily in person. Uh, sometimes, not always, but I think it's easier to fall into that trap when it's text than when it's a three D person. I, I think it's hard to be empathetic when you don't see the person in so long. Yes, and that, and that's probably exactly what happened, right? You, you start to lose that that empathetic nature. So, <clears throat> so that's I, a general takeaway for all yeah. organizations right now. Uh, I mean, we've said it many many times on the podcast. We're working remotely right now. A, remote work in the past year is not remote work in normal times because we don't have that opportunity to renew social ties. But even when things go back to normal, whatever normal ends up being, we have to bear this mechanism in mind. I see lots of people saying, oh, I'm never traveling again. I'm never going to a physical in-person conference again. That's my nightmare, being locked up in these four walls any longer <laughs> i can't i don't think i can take it and it, it's less efficient i'm able to short circuit all sorts of stupid email threads and slack messages that are just spinning round and round so i can say hang on let me pick up the phone and call bob 
or Alice, uh, because I have a social relationship with Alice or Bob, because last time we met up, we were drinking, uh, I know, a pint outside and talking about our kids. And so I'm able to call on that and draw on that relationship to to be more efficient in in my job, to, to call on that relationship. But that's getting harder and harder to do as those social ties recede into the past. New people in the company don't have that and building that over Slack, I can't even imagine. And so I think this may be a factor for Basecamp and let's all take it as a warning. Yeah, and I like I, I agree with politics outside of work, like or don't bring your politics to work, right? But I, I think it's hard not to bring like cultural issues and discuss some cultural issues at work. Now and but I totally I, I don't believe you should have Slack channels to talk politics or Slack channels to talk like it, no, it's, no. it's kind of conversation, right? And those are water cooler conversations that happen. And why would you like, I, I wouldn't stop those, right? Um, as long as it stays civilized, which I think most people are civilized in, in most companies, I guess I should say, not everywhere, maybe. <laughs> um, where I, I think if, if you relate it to something else, like, you know, like if you take um, Google and Microsoft, uh, I think even... Oh gosh, Amazon, they've been like bidding on some government military contracts and employees mm. protest it and get them like, yeah. there I totally disagree, right? I mean, that's like a market your company is going for and like win it and go. I mean, I think the the fact that some uh, some employees want to stop where the company is going in, I, that that to me goes a, a, a little too far. And I think it's hard, it's hard to stomach, right? So where do these companies go for services if they want them, right? But I don't, I don't know. I feel like yes and no on that front, honestly, Mike, because I remember I was, you know, in consulting when I was in consulting, right? You could you could easily find yourself pitching an industry that you didn't feel particularly positive about. And, and there's a range of that, right? There's like sort of do I want to be pitching to Vegas, um, which is one kind of concern. And then there's like, do I want to pitch the tobacco industry? Do I want to pitch the weapons industry? And I feel like... Um, making i feel like the an individual could opt out of that project perhaps right like um i don't think that anything would have induced me to find new ways to get nicotine into people's bodies regardless of what anybody was going to pay me that's just my own personal value set and i would have liked to be able to and i i i I didn't have to put this to the test at the time, but I would have liked to be able to say can i stick to tech companies k thanks right and continue working for this this consulting firm could I tell the consulting firm not to pitch the tobacco company? I feel like that's different, right? I They can pitch the tobacco company if they've got people that want to work that deal. Hallelujah. Fantastic. But I feel like I, as an individual, should be able to opt out just in the same way that I shouldn't be in federal sales if I don't want to pitch the military. Yeah. And that's... But that goes back to the base camp conversation because that's a sort of mature conversation you can have with mature leadership. Uh, yeah. In fact, I remember years ago when I worked for you, Lilac, and I ended up taking the trip to Saudi because you didn't want it. And yeah, and I, clear, I, I didn't. Did I didn't. Go to Saudi. There is no way a short Jewish girl was going to Saudi. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I didn't particularly enjoy it. Uh, sorry, Saudis. This was at Riyadh. Uh, if we have any Saudi listeners, I hear Jeddah is lovely, etc. Riyadh is Riyadh not. Riyadh in Ramadan as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was a black belt. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, fun. Um, but that was a that was a conversation that we could have. We could say we need someone from the team. Do you want to go? Nah. Okay. I, I guess I'll go. <laughs> that, that was uh, something we could do. And the same thing should be possible 
in in these situations is there any number of reasons personal or otherwise where someone might not want to work with particular customers and that should be something that can be accommodated without it blowing up and blowing up in public i think that that was also part of the uh, error in judgment here and then there's other smaller reasons why you wouldn't necessarily want to work with a customer right like we i had customers at various companies that were that treated me very poorly as a woman like like i could have litigated it i chose not to because there were a lot of zeros in their annual contract um and it was very unpleasant and uncomfortable and i still have very bad memories of of those experiences um being able to have a voice to say actually i'm not going to co-call on that account again you all do you but uh, leave me the hell out of it right i think that's important and if you shut down all these sort of political discussions I feel like the the concern is that I wouldn't necessarily be able to bring that concern to light um, without invoking a feminism discussion or something that would be for for it's, it's political. It's the personal is political. Yeah, um, and I I just don't think I don't think that's true at all. You know, the tough part about navigating the world today is the pendulum has swung both ways, right? There's uh, there's people who are tremendously offended on on both sides of the fence and 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 believe that we should be you know one way or another thinking about these things and that that it's it's the polarization and it's the polarization of everything that's what's making it really difficult for for some people because i i totally i i totally agree with um with the fact that yeah people should have the the opportunity to opt out but of course in some cases it's it's probably not possible and when you're working potentially for a smaller company that's yeah that's problematic so yeah and it's also going back to where we started from with basecamp the the issue with uh hero worship that we see and i was explaining this whole story to my wife who's not in the tech industry and therefore had no idea who uh dhh or base camp or any of it was and her assessment was oh so he's basically elon musk for your industry and that yeah kind of uh, he's got his uh, his fanboys like mike uh, <laughs> this tesla <laughs> <laughs> who just follow him regardless and some of some of them go off the deep end and it becomes an identity more than a reasoned position where you can disagree with some things that he says and agree with others. Uh, and it becomes just uh, messianic almost. And I think that's uh, starts to feed back on itself. If you're on the receiving end of that type of support and you start to see yourself that way, uh, it can be very hard for, to be called, called out for something else. So anyway... We started saying that uh, the internet spends far too much time talking about Basecamp and we ended up spending the whole episode on Basecamp. So <laughs> that's, that's us. That's us. Yeah. Let's uh, talk about something else for a couple of minutes. And Apple products. Come on, spill it. What do you guys buy? I, I, I honestly didn't buy anything. I mean, um, I got an old iMac and I thought about getting a new iMac, but you know, like I have a 27 inch now. Um, screen here on on the side ah, so you're waiting for the pro all, yeah the, the the new ones are all 24 and a half which is kind of uh kind of awkward right oh yeah um, everyone's assuming there's going to be like probably a 30 inch ipad pro coming at some point with the next gen chip and serious amounts of ram Will it yeah come you know pizza box? like what's the 
dimensions of that. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I've shown up with your Mac. <laughs> it it is a really nice machine, but I I I, I don't. I don't think I'm there yet. Um, on the iPads, I mean, I, I have an iPad Pro from oh, maybe two generations ago, which I think still works great. So I'm not, I'm not um, bouncing onto that. And and I gotta say, I I used it this week because I I had a, a really long meeting where I was sharing my screen and I was taking notes on on my my iPad Pro split screen. I have a keyboard. Man, it it just works great. Eh? I I think the the iPad doesn't get enough. Um, kudos on on what they've done with uh, ios there and um i think it's only going to get better i mean there's only a few things that i still need to go to a, a pc for but as it gets better and better and becoming a pc replacement i mean it, it's it's going to become a, a really strong product e- even further than it is if it ran mac os i'd be completely happy that, that yeah. would be it but but i guess did you did you pull the trigger on a ipad uh, dominic I did iPad Pro uh, because I have a first-gen iPad Pro, so the one that still had Touch ID. Uh, it has a oh, little okay. hairline crack in the screen and the keyboard folio broke. And without a keyboard, it's much less useful. As you were saying, that's a key part of it. But a new keyboard folio is 150, 160 euros. And that starts to be more than a joke to purchase that for a three-year-old machine. So what I'm doing instead is I'm spending 1,300 euros. And somehow <laughs> that makes me feel better. But <laughs> Oh, did you get the really big one? Because there's. No, I got the 11 inch. The 11 inch with the keyboard folio and the new pencil, because of course the old pencil doesn't work uh, with the, the new the new iPads. I did not get the smart keyboard because I am still hoping to start traveling again. And the keyboard folio is best for travel. The smart keyboard seems to be more of a countertop solution that stays in, in place rather than something to carry with you on planes. Uh, we'll see. I may change my mind on that one. But I also got the AirTags, uh, but the AirTags aren't for me. They're for my wife. And I, want, I just want to continue being woke for a moment, if I may. Uh, lots of people were like, ha-ha, what do you need AirTags for? I never lose my keys. It's like, yeah, doofus, because we're men and we have pockets in our trousers. And women, by and large, the major complaint is their clothes don't have pockets. What they do with their keys is they put their, their keys in handbags and they come into the house, they don't empty the handbag out like we empty our pockets. They put the handbag away, possibly still with keys in it. And then a week later, they need that set of keys because these days we don't drive our cars every day. And they go, oh, which handbag was I wearing the last time I used the car and therefore wear the keys? And every time it's stressful. And so that's the use case for these things. I'm sure there, there are others like pets and put them on whatever. I, I, I feel I feel like you've just put a tracking device on your wife, and I I, I can't go there. No, I can't. No, I can't see it. Keys, actually, just on our keys. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, that's so the whole point of the AirTags. Dominic, hmm. and I think you'll appreciate the um, the thrift with which we've addressed this. There's no keys to the Tesla. You just take your phone. And so for a cool, how many tens of thousands of dollars, we are all set. There you go. You took the same approach I took to the iPad. Perfect. I love it. This is exactly what I was going to say. Throw money at the problem. Who uses keys anymore? But you know, like the first thing is like when you, you you know, your phone's your key. And and then next thing you know, you're like walking out the door. You're like, I don't have my my keys. And then, and then you're like, wait a second. I don't need my keys. But you know, I've also heard. And then wait a second. I'm locked out of my house. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. But I've also heard horror stories where, uh people are using like because it comes with a 
yeah, the, the Model 3 has like a credit card. That's your, your actual key if your phone's not working. But I've heard people take road trips and go to places like in the mountains where there's no cellular signal. And then yep. they can't get into their car. They've locked themselves out because there's no no internet signal. And yeah, you can't even call somebody. It's it's like a complete disaster. But yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's the funny part. And we all know that May 8th, because we're we're Elon Musk fanboys, we're going to be watching SNL. So that's that's the other thing there to, to keep in mind. <laughs> so the car of the future. Excellent. So, but, so how, so Dominic, the air tags. I, I don't know if you've you've played with them yet, but can they pinpoint distance like fairly close, like because yeah, the, that's the, the whole point. Because they use the ultra wideband chip in the phones that everyone was wondering, what's that actually for? There's no applications that use it. That's what it's for. the The phone will let you point at your your missing air tag like a dowsing stick. It shows the direction and distance. It's amazing. Uh, but yeah, the, the privacy concern is real. That's one of the things that Apple has done. And it's very on-brand for Apple compared to other trackers. It's not possible to use this to track a person. I can't track uh, my wife's AirTags, even though we're in the same family. So I can actually track her phone. I can see all the family devices, but I can't see the AirTags. They're, they're not included in that view. And okay. if someone puts, like someone unknown to you, puts an AirTag in your bag and walks away and you move, the AirTag moves with you, it starts making a high-pitched sound. Uh, to alert you that you have an air tag on you and you bring your nfc phone not just an iphone it also works with android so they've thought this through and it tells you hey this is an air tag uh here's how you can shut off the tracking adopt it contact the person who left it with you uh so they have thought through that angle which was one of the things that people were saying wait a minute do we really want to have this stalkerware uh sitting around and they seem to have done a fairly good job of anticipating that and defusing the the common use cases I, I don't know, like, because Tile has been around for a long time. I, I don't know if there's use cases for people to go out and buy a lot of AirTags. I, I, I just don't Well, the see difference it, but... with Tile is you have to have the Tile app, and that, and it's only located by you and anyone else who has the Tile app, which is not that many people. The AirTags, the location is every iPhone. Uh, there were two journalists who tried this. They One of them took an air tag and walked out into the streets of San Francisco, and the other tried to locate him. Uh, and they realized that at one point he was being tagged by the iPhones of people driving past him on the street. Even that momentary handoff was enough uh, to for the air tag to update its location. Uh, so, it's, so basically, my iPhone can be used to start to find your air tag. Yeah, that's the point. It's a distributed network. That's it's like the blockchain of... of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but without the you know, Amazon forest destroying capabilities. <laughs> I, I, I feel like there's it's... a data mining use case somewhere here that they are really going to bring to market in 12 months. And we're going to be like, oh, this is how they simulated our brainwaves. Right, like it, it that just... would be on brand for Apple, though. I mean, they they could already do this. It's like the difference between Apple Maps and Google Maps. Google Maps has crowdsourced traffic, and Apple Maps does sort of, kind of, but with one hand tied behind its back because they don't do that sort of massive data scraping. Says the Apple fanboy, you know, outing myself here. I mean, and and as as I sit here, I will say that like one of my biggest complaints with the maps embedded in the Tesla is that it doesn't have crowdsourced cop locations exactly well the waves will tell you there's a cop up ahead and like you can sort of crowdsource that and i'm like why is it the one thing that we haven't gotten in this tesla 
that's now an iPhone, so it doesn't help you in the Tesla because it doesn't have CarPlay, but hey. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, I, you should just tweet out at Elon and get it built in uh, Lilac. That's, that's how I would do it. I, I really delegate that to my husband. He does all the Elon tweeting in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not even joking. That's the funny part. <laughs> I guess separation of duties. But with that, uh, this has been, as usual, a wonderful conversation. And I hope that we help some people avoid getting roasted in public by Twitter. Um, but until next week, We'll look forward to hearing any of your own stories of that one time I got uh, into a political discussion at work and it went poorly. Yeah, share those with us on Twitter at roll number four enterprise or on our LinkedIn page, the link's in the show notes. And the other link is to the webpage of my good friend Renato Podesta, who makes our wonderful intro and closing music, which you should be hearing under my voice right now. Until next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye.